Search firm Chris Hunt presents our Moving Up podcast, a place where CEOs, recruiters, C-suites, and executives discuss their previous experience and provide tips to candidates and clients who are looking to excel. Victoria Djokovic, our podcast host, is the vice president of Chris Hunt and has over 20 years of experience in the staffing industry. She can't wait to share her secrets to success. So make sure to tune in. Good afternoon, Michael, and welcome to the podcast, Chris Hunt Moving Up. Uh, you're my guest today, and uh, just to tell people a little bit about you, uh, you're the co-founder and COO of a company called ResumeSiv, a productivity tool designed to reduce the need for sifting through resumes nonstop. Um, Michael, you've also been in the talent acquisition space, what, 20 years now or more? Yeah, that's right, Victoria. <laughs> it's, 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 we could we could talk even in decades. <laughs> uh, and Michael also has his own podcast. Yeah, so I I started a podcast. It's called the My Wide View of Talent Acquisition. I have done almost every job uh, in the talent acquisition space at one time or another, and what I realized is that that I know a lot of about the talent acquisition space. But what I what I really know is I know a lot of people who know a lot about the detail of talent acquisition. And so my focus is finding those people in the first few episodes uh, deal with things like leadership and the recruiting conversation and some other things with the idea of bringing in an expert who can provide some tips, some ways to effectively uh, escalate your talent acquisition process. and. I, I think I, I shared this with you in one of our conversations, Victoria. This started because I do a lot of podcasts, and, and that's okay. You know, it's, uh, I enjoy it, and I, I get a chance to, to meet and greet interesting people. And then I thought, well, I can do this. <laughs> so, so I talked to my marketing guy, and he said, well, I can help you do that. And so it, it has been an, an interesting journey to create the, the podcast um, as part of, uh, I, in addition to Resume Civ, I also have a consulting company. And, and so this, the, the podcast is really the, through my consulting company, which is primarily in the area of talent acquisition. And, and it's, it's a very interesting way to meet people and have some great conversations and perhaps even provide some insight to the audience. And that's, that's the way I'm looking at it. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. And, um, you know, the, the platforms that are available now today, I think just allows us to have so much more information and data available to us. So uh, that we titled today's podcast, The Talent Environment, a discussion on talent climate, technology and culture. Um, obviously, those are three very deep <laughs> subjects. We could probably do a podcast on each one and maybe we'll come back and do that. But I thought today we might start with, you know, the one that everybody's talking about the most right now, which is the great resignation and get some of your thoughts on you know, what brought that about. I mean, was it COVID or was it something else? You know, I, I, I think that if we if we look at what <clears throat> what people are saying, why they're leaving, it, it had a lot to do with COVID. Yes, that was certainly the catalyst. Now, 20, 2019, and that seems like it's just ages ago, doesn't it? 2019 was an interesting year because things were starting to tighten up and slow down. You know, we've been dealing with this whole uh, war for talent, which is something that I, I, I think it's the wrong connotation. And talent was scarce in 2018, 2019. 
and then we hit COVID and suddenly talent was everywhere. And so people took jobs that they, you know, because they needed to work and not necessarily what they wanted to do or how they wanted to do it. And then as we've been slow to get back to, and I don't think we ever will get back to exactly where we were, people have, have, have realized they kind of liked this new working style. They kind of like this freedom and the ability to, um, you know, maybe pick up the kids and then do your work as the, as the case may be. And so I think that what the, the stats show us that this great resignation isn't over yet. The recent, uh, I guess it was yesterday, maybe even the numbers came out. And while the number of available jobs has dropped a little bit, it's still over 10 million jobs that are unfilled in the economy. The number of people quitting hasn't slowed down. People are still leaving their jobs to go find other jobs, um, or, or maybe not even. There, there's a certain amount of that, that there, there continue, continues to be a number of people who are leaving the uh, employment arena altogether that, that uh, I think just in the last couple of years, that number's a million do, uh, that have chosen not to go back into employment. So I think, the, I think there are pieces of the environment that are with us. I think that at some point we will probably get back to a more stable job environment as the economy sta stabilizes and maybe particularly as the economy gets a little tighter, which of course is what the government's trying to do, isn't it? That they're trying to tighten things down and make it a little bit easier and lower inflation. Not that I'm an economist, but I certainly listen to what the economists are saying. And I think it, it's, it's with us for a while. I'd, it would surprise me if, if we see a substantial change in sort of the general environment you know, within the next year to 18 months, that it's gonna, it's gonna take that long uh, for people to get it out of their system and you know, move on and, and be willing to, to be a little more stable because it, it does reflect a certain lack of stability in the, in the employment space for sure that that many people are willing to quit. Yeah, I well, and I kind of look at it as that COVID was kind of a big trigger that set it off. But you know, for years we've been in, like yourself, I've been here a few decades, um, <laughs> and in the employment talent acquisition space, they've been talking about the fact that there was going to be a shortage of labor um, for probably 20 years coming yep. at some point when the boomers decided to get out of exactly. out of working. And, you know, COVID kind of triggered a bigger chunk of it. You know, we've got a big chunk of the boomers moving through that space right now into retirement. So, um, or looking to just do something, you know, not nearly as taxing or stressful as what they've done in, in the past. So, um, and like yourself, not an economist, but we, you know, technical definition of recession is two um, quarters of downturn, right? We just got those numbers to say that was a case, even though they were expecting it not to be. Um, yeah. I guess that was driven by inventory uh, and they were expecting that inventory to go away the next quarter. So hopefully, you know, we won't have we'll that. And, right. And then the inflation part, you know, obviously the Fed is trying to give us a soft landing on that as much. So hopefully, uh, well, we should see, like you mentioned, a tightening of the, the market in general. So that should stabilize things a little bit more. And we're, we're learning how to deal with COVID. Well, and you said something interesting there that, you know, as as much as 20 years ago, companies were concerned about that just in general, the talent shortage 
that they were seeing happening. Uh, that was around the time, for example, that British Petroleum started their own school. They called it BPU because they saw the same thing coming. They saw these 50-ish petroleum experts who you know, weren't ready to retire, but in you know, a short time would, and nobody coming in behind them to fill it out. I saw some stats the other day, which are pretty staggering. Worldwide right now, we have a global shortage of about 40 million developers. And by 2030, it'll be 85 million. So, you know, these, these kind of um, imbalances in the employment space are going to continue. Where where are people going to school? What are, you know? What are they doing when they come out of school? All those kinds of challenges. It, even if even if we get less people quitting, there's still going to be places where it's it you know it's hard to find people to do the work, or you got to be willing to train them and. That's an interesting challenge in and of itself. Exactly. I mean, like developers, I mean, those people don't grow on trees and getting no. that, right. You're going to, there's going to have to be some sort of a, a training program that lets them come in at a very basic level and keeps moving them up through that. Or you're just never, I mean, if you're just going to rely on them, you know, coming out of colleges, et cetera, yeah. I just don't see how you're going to fill those kind of numbers. No, oh, yeah, it's. Uh, I talked to a CEO a couple weeks ago. He's got a uh, technology firm, and he hires all over the world. He says that they're forty percent of the people in in this company I've never met face to face because they. He, I mean, he literally said they work in Uzbekistan, they work in Brazil, they work in uh, various countries in Asia, wherever this skill set happens to be, because it's a pretty unique skill set in this particular company. The kind of the kind of work that they're doing, and. So this this just ties in with the whole idea that you know people work are more so now, and this may change. People work where they want to work right now, and that's what's behind the the uh, the great resignation. People are working where they want to work um, because they do have alternatives. There are uh, other things that they can do if it turns out that the company where they've landed isn't the, the right one for them. Agreed. And I, um, particularly in that technology market, we do a lot of recruiting in that space here at Chris Hunt. And yeah, we've had some clients that are just really demanding that they come in. And those are the most difficult ones to fill because all these developers, coders, they can work wherever they want and they can yeah. set their own terms, really. So, um, exactly. So, what kinds of things do you, uh, what other changes do you see coming out of the great resignation? Well, I think the, the, the there are a couple things. One, it's driving an awful lot of activity in talent acquisition. So it's putting pressure. How you know wherever talent acquisition takes place in an organization, right? Sometimes it's the HR manager, sometimes the hiring manager is doing their own thing. Yeah, you know that that you know it's not every organization that has their own uh, talent acquisition group, and so it's driving a lot of activity there and. What, what's happening is that the, the shortage in, in the recruiting space is really creating its own pressures. And so these things, again, I don't think they're gonna go away anytime soon. Uh, I talked to a, a business owner the other day and he, he hires on occasion, but he thinks he needs a full-time recruiter and he wants that recruiter to be able to do business development when they're not recruiting. Okay, you know, you maybe you can find somebody who's got that skill set. That's an interesting mix of skills. Yes, but I think <laughs> I think what what it's what it's 
it's forcing him to think about, you know, can I hire generalists who can do multiple things in my organization? So it it's pushing people to think what, you know, what do the jobs look like? You know, do I need to refill the job that's vacant or should I try something completely different? And I think that those are, those are sort of structural changes that are gonna go on for a while, particularly as it just continues to be hard to find people when you've got this, you know, 10 plus million jobs available and, and only six or seven million people at 3.6% unemployment available to fill them, you know, you could, you could be dealing with long time to fill for right. a while. Yeah. And I think that's a fact of life right now. Well, and I think you bring up something really interesting. And I, I keep talking about this myself and I have been for a few years, the generalist versus a specialist for yeah. probably the last 15 years we've been after specialist, 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 which has always been a little bit concerning to me. I mean, through my career, I, you know, I've been fortunate to be more of a generalist or someone that somebody's recognized and said, Hey, you want to give this a try? I think you, you know, you're smart enough or you're, you know, you have some skills there that we could, you know, you could probably do this. And I haven't been that specialized, um, but I see a lot of people struggling, um, you know, because they get so specialized, they can't, it's very difficult to get out of that space. Like they don't get to try new things. They don't get to move into another position. And this is causing it. If, if I'm hearing you right, this is kind of causing that shift to come back the other way where you can be a little more of a generalist and people have to look at you different and say, well, what could you do or how could you fit in with the skill sets that you have? Well, you know, and, and there are some some organizations that embrace this trend early. Um, you know, if you're a, a Trader Joe's aficionado, you know, you may realize that the person who's checking you out in two hours might be stocking shelves or might be fetching the uh, wagons from the parking lot, right? They move from one job to another. I had a client in the town in the uh, hospitality space. They had 12 jobs uh, between the front of house and back of house. And they looked at those jobs and got it down to five. And so at any given time, a person could be tending bar or they could be checking in guests or they could be directing traffic in the lobby. And what they were able to do was reduce their staffing levels by somewhere like 30%. And so they solved their own shortage crisis by having people work where they were needed to work at a give, at a particular time. But again, it, it, it takes a little bit different kind of person who's got that flexibility to go from, you know, mixing drinks to directing traffic. It's, it's not everybody's got that sort of generalist capability. And there are places where that's really going to fit in. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, I think your point's really well taken that, yeah, there's a lot of rethinking, restructuring. Yeah. Um, how can I do things differently? And that kind of leads us into our next topic, I think, which is how technology is affecting that. You know, we work with some uh, restaurant technology companies, and there's a lot of interesting technology coming out to kind of help backfill some of those positions or set them up so that they could do just what you're talking about you know maybe they can do a couple other things because the little robots coming in to bring in the drinks that they ordered that kind of thing so um you know what is your thoughts on technology both i guess as part of you know backfilling positions but also how we utilize technology in the um, talent acquisition space yeah so two very interesting uh topics in in terms of what 
the you know, sort of the replacement aspect of of technology certainly you know we've we've we, we hear the stories through uh, pr primarily it, it you hear about them in the quick serve space you know uh, robots flipping burgers or making pizzas um i i've got a friend who uh, has done some work with automation that um gets people through the queue faster you know those kinds of things um i, I was in a starbucks not too long ago and i was watching them and everything that you ordered printed out with your your Starbucks name and number on it and your name and and I said well you know to the woman well where's my bagel and she said no no somebody else handles that because they're printing tickets and the tickets were coming out so there there's there's a lot to be said for that kind of activity going on and yet it's not likely to completely replace meaning there will be some people there will be some jobs that are taken over by technology and there's still going to be there's still more jobs than we can possibly fill because you you know that we're, we're creating new jobs all the time so it's it's not as much of a risk for the economy although it is maybe a risk for the individual having to learn some new skills right so then you then you talk about the what's going on with the, the uh, technology for managing the talent process that's constantly going through change uh, I talked to a business owner today who's got a, a product in the interview scheduling component of the talent life cycle. And what this, what this application does is it makes it easy to, to schedule the people and it also generates the questions based on the job description using some AI. And so making it easier for, particularly for a small organization who, who may not have an HR facility uh, to generate those those kinds of uh, questions that then go into the interview process. So I think you, you, you see a lot of, of development that goes on and, and then, then what you see is that these little companies that have this one really niche product get snapped up by the bigger ones. Um, you know, uh, have, you, have you been following the, the, it's the new company, although it's not new, it's called employee.com. It's the old job vite and jazz hr and they just bought lever right they they're, they're acquiring but they, but somehow i don't know what they paid for it but they paid something for employee.com what a great url and then oh, they renamed yeah. their company you know they renamed the parent company employee.com exactly. and i'm not I'm not trying to do an ad for them but i just think it's incredible marketing that yeah. you know here's a company in the talent space and they're employee.com and so they, you know, they're buying technology. Uh, you know, you can see it with the various applicant tracking systems that, you know, they they buy up a a, a product that does something, and it's easier than them developing it themselves. So there's all kinds of new things that are going on, and then then you add to it, in addition to the technology, you, you add to it the legislative environment. And now this is not going to become a political diatribe. <laughs> um, you know, you're in California, so you know some of the most um, stringent labor laws anywhere in the United States. And so, you know, there there are rules that are coming into place in 2023 about the uh, the technology that you use and whether the technology that you use is uh, audited and validated such that it's not providing, uh, you know, not uh, unfair advantage. And, you know, companies are, are having to look at their vendors and say, well, does your comp, you know, does your product, you know, 
is it is it biased? Is your product biased? And therefore, I'm going to be biased because the interesting thing about these laws is they're not targeting the technology; they're targeting the employers, and it's up to the employers to then verify that their technology works. This is such an interesting point because I have said for a little while, and I was going to ask your opinion on this: um, the video prior video, like you apply by doing a videotape and then, you know, managers or whomever watch that video. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, you know, and I'd had one that, you know, was trying to talk to me about it and how Chris Hunt might be able to use it. But I said, I'm a little concerned, particularly here in California, how that's not going to be construed as discriminatory. Yep. And, you know, I'm not really sure they had a great answer for it. And, with, you know, and I, I just felt like all along somewhere, some of that was going to catch up and say, yeah. you know, because if you're having people watch prior videos prior to the interview, I mean, how do you, you know, say, well, I didn't discriminate ahead of time before yeah. I looked at this person? Yeah. Uh, it, 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 <laughs> you know, so, some of these, some of these applications were, were going down the, um, going down the path of facial recognition isn't the right word, but they were they were reading the expressions and the responses and and drawing conclusions from that. And that's a little scary, too. Uh, And so, you know, so a lot of this falls into, you know, there's experimentation going on, right? Because the technology is capable of doing these things. Question is, should you be doing these things? Right. Uh, I I talked to a couple of DEI um, experts, and I'm not trying to shift the subject to DEI. We we were talking about, you know, how is it that you can have a uh, non-biased process, and and can you have technology that's non-biased? Well, there's some real question about whether you can have technology that's non-biased because somebody programmed that technology, somebody is giving it feedback in terms of how it's it's dealing with things, and. At the end of the day, if if you're in the the front end of the process, you're the, you're the recruiting engine, uh, you know, uh, like you all, you provide a you know diverse s- slate of people to the hiring manager, and yet the people who end up getting hired end up looking a lot like the hiring manager. Well, it's there's nothing you know unless you're going to let the technology make the hiring decision at, at at the end of the day, you still have people that have to be trained to see through these kinds of things and 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 how do you make sure that the technology itself isn't um, biasing the process? You have to watch it. Yeah, you, you can't just yeah. let it do its thing. Uh, it's all these things. It, it's interesting. You know, all these things. Well, you know, we're going to make it faster. We're going to make it better. We're going to make it more compliant. And the unforeseen circumstances, are, you know, they they creep in. I I I read an article by a, a DEI ethicist, and the point was, well, it, you want the technology to be um, non-biased, okay, and you want it to reflect the society. Well, whose perspective of society? Uh, you know, how, how how can you be completely non-biased? And so, so you see, then there's the have you have you seen the redacting technology now? That there are a couple of companies they'll take a resume, they take out name, age, date, company name. All you're left with are skills and 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 jobs, and you're supposed to make decisions from those things. Okay, great, but you still have to meet this person at some point face to face. Right. Some at some point you have to make sure there's going to be a cultural fit, and that just can't right. be a paper 
paper thing, you know, because now you're talking about personalities, you're talking about potentially uh, team fits based on some, you know, people are using, you know, personality type things like uh, I can't remember some of them, but, you know, and you get the disc, the disc might be one, but the disc or Myers-Briggs or one of these. Sure. Exactly. Thank you. Um, But they were, you know, but you use some of that to kind of fill in gaps in your team. Right. And so, you know, even, you know, that's had its ups and downs over the years. Uh, So uh, to your point, and then the other part I see with technology is like, how much are we just layering over an existing system really trying versus trying to create something new that's really going to be more effective? Um, For example, back in the day when they first could scan in resumes instead of you having to go through a stack of paper, Um, you know, they 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 got to the point where they scan in resumes. But even to this day, I hear HR managers tell me all the time, I have a giant database of people, but I can't fill my jobs what <laughs> so yeah yeah, yeah. it's, it's like it's it, you're just making so you have a giant database but you're not doing anything with it it's it's an amazing conundrum i i had a client that was generating um 150 to 200,000 applicants a month and so yeah giant database and there's no technology generally that allows you to easily search that database to find what you need now you know the the applicant tracking systems will tell you you can you can search and you know maybe it's a couple of characteristics and you come back with 500 and well then what are you going to do with 500 people you got to go through all of them to be fair right um it's well, either it, that or you have to click on another box to narrow them down and now you made a may have uh, you wiped out somebody who would have been want, perfect wanted yeah <laughs> exactly exactly as <laughs> Uh, you know, so, someone asked me, you know, you know, what, what should we be doing about getting, you know, uh, you know, improving our sourcing? And I said, you shouldn't be sourcing. You should be looking at what you've already got. You know, if, if, if you think about that, any company is going to have three pools of uh, resources that they can tap into. There's what you can find by sourcing, po- doing job postings and that kind of stuff, right? Then there's what you can get through referrals, either from um, other applicants or from your own people. And then there's what you've already got in your applicant tracking system. Why aren't you working those in the reverse order? Yeah. Look at people that, that that have applied to you and see if there's somebody who's got a, a good match. Look at you know referrals, pay people for referrals before you then go to source. Because I know I, I posted a, 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 um, a sales VP job did it on LinkedIn and indeed on the free, free freebie, got 295 applicants in seven days. And then I ran them through Resume Civs technology and uh, to rank order them. Um, and when I was done, the most qualified person, this was a sales VP in selling SaaS products in the applicant tracking system market. That was, the, that was key criteria right there in the job, right there in the description. The person who ranked the highest in terms of the basic criteria has been selling lawn service products for the last nine years in the Midwest. <laughs> and, and that was the most qualified person. So what that says is I got 295 applicants by going through a, you know, a, a sourcing process and not a single one of those applicants was remotely qualified for the job. Well, you know, if, if I had been hiring for you know a period of time, wouldn't I have somebody in my system? And it's it's using that. We we actually we had a client at one point in the financial services space. Their recruiters were carrying 50 recs, which you will recognize as a pretty big load for a recruiter. Yes, it is. 
So they didn't have a chance. They didn't have time to even look at what was in the applicant tracking system. They hired us to go through their applicant tracking system to find viable candidates for them. We had four people on this working full time. In the first year, we saved two and a half million dollars in agency fees. Net, net two and a half million dollars savings because we yeah, found candidates that they that. already had and they didn't know that they had them. You know, this is somebody who's hiring, you know, 12, 15,000 people a year and they're going out to an agency 20% of the time because they, they don't get the right applicants. But these people were in their system. It's and, and, and those kinds of things continue to this day. Yeah, well, and I think to your point about working that in a reverse this, um, process, I have to tell you, I even do that with my own recruiters every Friday on our stand -up. I'm like, did you look in the system first? Did you yeah. look at the system first? You probably are sitting with the person right there. So, but I think that kind of, you know, also will kind of roll us into our next conversation a little bit about culture. Cause I think mm -hmm. you're going to look at that in reverse there also is a cultural piece there because you're now going to have to create a good experience for the people in your database yeah. um, because you know many of them get ghosted or they just get an email there's no further reach out you know how is culture starting to play in the talent acquisition space well it's a, it, it, it's a huge issue uh, based on the conversations that i have with people that the experience of the job seeker today is not a great one. Um, and I, you know, I, I attribute that not to companies are deliberately deciding that they're, they're going to treat the applicants badly. It's just that, that everybody is stretched so thin that there really isn't the time to go through this. Uh, you know, I talked to uh, one executive who was looking for a senior level position, had, had applied to 300 jobs over the course of about eight weeks. 10 responses, one interview. Everyone else goes to them. Right. And yeah. so, you know, it, it, this is one of the things that, that I would say to people is how you treat them in the process is their first experience with your culture. And if you're treating them in such a way that they don't feel, um, valued, then they're going to bring that feeling in with them, even if they accept your job. But again, if if you're talking to people that have three and four and five job offers, which is not unusual, how you treat them is what's going to really make the difference. I, I uh, was talking to an RPO firm that, that uh, recruits in the trucking space, and their whole focus is to treat that driver as a, a valued person as somebody that they connect with because those drivers trucking uh, trucking industry uh, you know th they're varying numbers about how short-handed we are in the trucking space and any driver that applies to a job is is hearing for five or six different recruiters and so it's all about the conversation with the recruiter that's what's going to make the decision because you know the numbers are all about the same you know maybe maybe somebody's got a better route to offer them than something else and if a recruiter actually shows some interest, you know, spends five minutes to create some rapport, you know, talking about family life or, or sports teams or something, yeah, that's going to make all the difference in whether or not that recruiter, uh, that, that truck driver accepts a job. And this is in an industry where the, the average tenure is 90 days. Right. So, you know, the, your typical company is, is dealing with 400% turnover. 
yeah. deal. Think of that. I know my brother-in-law is actually in the in that, so I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, yeah. he, he can go anywhere he wants basically and get a job right now. So yeah, you know, absolutely. And, you know, if you're not somebody who has a lot of accidents or not safety conscious or something like that, you're in super high demand with these companies right now. So yeah, and and they all give you a signing bonus, and you know, you you have a certain period of time you have to stay for the signing bonus, and then then you know you get the next one. So it's right. it's a uh, you're a free agent. <laughs> yeah, so it it it, get, it really speaks to the heart of that question that you asked about culture and how the hiring process is it is a reflection of your culture whether you intend it to be or not. And I know in when I was doing a, a recruitment process outsourcing, there were three components that we would train recruiters on. One was hopefully we didn't have to train them to be a recruiter. Sometimes we did, but hopefully not. Right? That we would hire people who had experience. Then we'd have to train them to be an employee of our company. You know, how do you get paid and where do you go for this and, and what is our culture? But then you have to train them for the, the client's culture because they're the embodiment of the client culture for the first several contacts with that person. And so you've got to be able to document what does your culture look like? What do you want someone to reflect as they're talking to a candidate about the culture that they're about to enter? And it's hard. Um, not everybody does it, but not everybody wants to spend the time or, you know, they haven't made, been made to see what the, what the payback is. Uh, but it's it, in, in, a, in an era of scarcity, and, you know, we are certainly in an era, era of, of scarcity. Um, you know, you can't afford to waste any candidate. And by turning them off, that's, that's not a good thing. Yeah. That's not a good thing. No, it's not. And, you know, and, and it is difficult, though. You know, I, I mean, I don't think we either one of us is suggesting that, oh, you know, like you said, that any company is intentionally doing that, including my own company here. Um, we, you know, we want to and we talk about how do we continue to reach out? How do we check in with these folks? You know, because it can't the other thing I feel is it can't just be automated, you know, because everybody right. has, you know, Complete right. automation. It's there needs to be somehow within that a little more personal touch or a little more engagement. So, uh, yeah. do you have any experience with that or any thoughts on oh, that? Oh yeah, absolutely. I just I, I was thinking, you know, the, typically these candidates will be housed in something that that we might call a CRM, candidate relationship management, right? And so I, I would talk to, to, to clients about using the CRM and, and having all these candidates that, that you could deal with. And you have to recognize that when you, you just think about the term candidate, okay, we know who that is. Relationship, that's what you want to create. Management, somebody has to be doing this. You have to have somebody, you know, because, you know, typically it's, it's not, it, it isn't you're reaching out to them necessarily because there's usually too many just to, to do the direct reach out. But it is, you know, sending them emails, uh, creating content that is that is interesting to them, and so there are tools that do this, right? That that facilitate right. this process, and you still have somebody that has to be working it to ensure that you're keeping those candidates warm. Otherwise, you're going to lose them. You're, you know, they they're going to go stale. You're gonna you're gonna do your search, and it's been six months since they heard from you, and they've already got another job. You know, or you know, it's whatever. Well, and I think the other part of that is you want them to come back to you later. 
uh, at yeah. least in our business for sure, um, as as part of being in talent acquisition. You know, if they decide to make another move, I want to hear from them, but they're not going to call me unless they had a good experience with me. Yeah, absolutely and right. So you know, uh, the struggle to do that is real. <laughs> right? Are are you creating a memorable experience in the right way? Exactly. <laughs> and then keeping it up so they, they show back up. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Exactly. Do you see any companies doing anything unusual in that space, trying to create a different culture? Maybe the culture's not is maybe it's not just culture, but how they're attracting candidates because it, it can't just all be money, right? I mean yeah, yeah. I mean the companies have already been throwing as much money as they can at it. You know, at some point it's just gonna be there's no more money to throw at it. I uh, actually, I, I talked to a, a CEO of a services company and they have what I would term to be a very hands-on process. Once contact is made with a candidate, the person who made that contact owns that candidate through the life of the process and, you know, shepherds them through making sure that they, they're getting nice warm handoffs and that they understand what the company is. And then it, it, once they come on board, they're part of the onboarding process. It, it, you know, it's it's those kinds of things. So yeah, there are companies that do that. And they're, you know, quite frankly, there are an awful lot of companies that it's sort of sink or swim. You know, it's, it's yeah. you come in and, and, you know, here's your desk and, you know, here's your phone and, you know, this is what you're gonna be doing. I'll, you know, I'll see you after lunch kind of thing. Yeah, it's you know you, you do see both kinds. You know, once in a while you'll see something on LinkedIn where somebody says, "Look at this swag that I got," and they'll be you know their yeah. computer and their this and their that and the mug and the hoodie and uh, okay, you know that's those are reflective of the culture and you know people sometimes people make economic decisions that they don't want to do those things because it costs money, and yet the the results if you if you start to look at it from a longer term perspective engagement, retention, all those things have quantifiable benefits. And of course, the companies that, that provide those kind of services can, can show you what those uh, numbers look like. It, you know, it, it's, there's often short-term thinking. Um, I, I was dealing with a company in the, uh, in the quick, quick service space and they, we, we were setting up the interview days for them and so we'd have 15 candidates and a hiring manager come in and would do a lightning round. And we were getting about 80% no-shows. Well, we couldn't figure out what, why. Well, what was actually happening is it was the hiring manager who was the no-show. The candidates were there, but there was no one to interview them. Yeah, I've seen that happen too. Yeah, it's like, I, and again, I don't think it's intentional other than they're so busy, they forget things or they get right. caught up in things. Right. And, it, you know, but it yep. is the reflection of how you, you, how important you feel those candidates are when they they show up exactly and day and age it's, it's just that much more like not only do you need to show up and you know so much of it's done over zoom and i we've seen where interviews where you know the person's so busy they can't even engage with the the person over zoom you know they're still doing their business and stuff like that and you know if you're a candidate what does that say yeah that so, is it shows you how valued you are right you know and, it really and shows you and the great thing about Zoom is it, it does give you that opportunity if you, you know, make your screen and make it your whole screen to just be focused on them and not, you know, doing a bunch of other things. You know, we're yeah. always multitasking so much, you know, use Zoom as the opportunity to just be 100% engaged. 
Yeah, yeah, it's it. It I I think Zoom is a marvelous tool, and I you know I mean we were talking before about the impacts of COVID. I think that that those that those tools are here to stay. I I have noticed prior to COVID, we had Zoom calls. Sure, you know you didn't always travel somewhere, or you weren't all in the same office. Never would anybody have the camera on. I always did because it was kind of a challenge, you know, it's, and, 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 you know, it's a little easier for me to deal with the hair. So I, you know, okay, I, I get that. I get that. You know, I, know I was worried about mine today. <laughs> yes. It's, uh, you know, it's, 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 it may not be fair, but now, you know, it, we've, we've sort of, you know, the, the culture of, of zoom has become so common that people are seeing each other face to face. I, I had a, uh, I was invited to a uh, vendor demo over zoom and it was a whiskey tasting technology demo. And so they sent me and everybody else a little box that had six little, four little bottles of whiskey and four little glasses. And we were all on Zoom, right? None of us are face to face, but just, you know, interacting in a way that, that you know, we wouldn't have considered, uh, you know, pre-COVID, we would have said, well, we'll get all those people in a room and, you know, so we'll just do it all local or whatever the case may be. But Zoom has, it's given us another dimension to how we communicate with people. And and it's certainly, it, it, if you're not using it to speed up the process, then you're not thinking it through. Because that was the, the other thing, right? Scheduling. One, one of the first projects I did in, in the, the talent space was outsourcing the recruiting coordinators from a large technology company. All these recruiting coordinators did was to schedule the interviews. We we had 30 people scheduling interviews because the way this company did their thing was somebody would fly in and they get eight interviews in the same day because they were all one on one. It was the craziest thing. Yeah, it's, it's, you know. <laughs> but they're a big company and they could do whatever they want, right? Uh, they 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 felt it was justified. But it's it's now you can have a conversation, you know three, two, three, maybe even four steps in the process before you think about putting somebody on an airplane and all the scheduling that goes into that. I mean, talk about it just attenuating your your time to fill. Right. Man, if you're not using Zoom to, to shorten your time to fill, then you're not really thinking through how you could be doing things, right? Yeah. Well, and I think, right, and all of this is, is part of so many more people being remote, too. I mean, obviously, yeah. it opens up your candidate pool, but then, you know, the onboarding does get a little more challenging. And yeah, uh, and that cultural engagement is where you wrap your arms around them. Like you said, the swag coming in makes them feel part of your your company when they're three thousand miles away. So, you yeah. know, those little things do seem to make a big difference. So um, we are kind of coming up on forty minutes, and you know, we don't like to go too much longer than fifty. So I thought maybe you could just give me what you think are our big takeaways from today's conversation. It's been really enjoyable, um, but yeah, I'd be interested in your just kind of your takeaways, maybe two or three. Yeah, there, there are a couple of things that I think that have been um, sort of embedded in what we've been talking about. Uh, I think some of the some of the, the the structural changes that have gone on are going to continue and may become uh, more permanent. So things like remote work and the the whole issue with uh, the great resignation and, and people moving around people looking for things other than dollars, that they're looking for a place to belong, they're looking for a place that that meets their other needs besides just the dollars. So that's something to think about. I think the, the other uh, big thing is if you're not paying attention to the talent acquisition process, and this gets back to your question about culture, then you're doing yourself a disservice. 
it is it's a reflection of who you are as a, as a company it can it you know if you're in the right market uh, you know maybe you're a consumer brand and if, so if you're a consumer brand and you're doing a pretty bad job of, of how you're hiring people well you're losing customers too it's it, it it's something that you can spend a little bit of time and the payback is just going to be huge in terms of engagement and your your value in the market and whatnot so it's pay attention to how you're handling people and recognize that people make decisions based on how they're treated these days because they have choices at some point down the line maybe people won't have so many choices and it'll be back to well it's a job and and, and i need a job today but that's not what we are now no, you know, as a, people say to me, well, you know, it, it, is it really that hard to find a job today? I said, well, if you wanted to flip hamburgers or shovel chicken, and I'm not denigrating either of those two areas, you probably can find a job, you know, in, in five minutes, uh, you know, because every one of these quick serve places is looking for people to hire. But, you know, finding, finding the good jobs or finding the good employees for the the you know the more specialty jobs that's tough stuff and it's you know it, it, the companies have to pay attention to how they're presenting themselves in the market otherwise you're not going to attract the talent in the first place you're not even going to be able to have the conversation because people won't be interested in talking to you because word gets around P, you know people talk it doesn't take long before well you don't want to apply there i mean he, heaven forbid you should start getting knocked on glass door right uh, yeah for sure <laughs> I, they have all kinds of ways to you know, put that out there. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Platforms are helpful and they are not helpful. So absolutely, <laughs> on what you're trying to get out of them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, great. I, those are, I think those are really sound advice. I mean, the process is so important and so is, you know, how you treat people at the end of the day. Um, you know, and just like you not to get into any kind of political situation, but you know, we do have a very combative atmosphere and, you know, people, been a huge amount of their life working and so you know it, yeah why wouldn't they want to be someplace where they feel like they're at home and they're well treated and yeah. and all of that so exactly right it's it's uh it, it is becoming more and more of a decision factor and you know the, the companies that recognize it uh they're the ones who are going to land the good people that's for sure I hope you will come back again. I think we have so many deep topics that we can go into. Oh, probably, happy, happy, love to have you come back. Ha happy to do it. Uh, uh, you know, I'm my own booking agent, so reach out to me anytime. Happy to be in the conversation.